So you got a Bible? Have you got a Bible? How many believe it's the Word of God? How many, really? Say with me, I'm going to spend more time in it. I got four people. How many are going to spend more time in the Bible, right? If you got a Bible, stand with me. I'm going to go to Mark's Gospel, the eighth chapter. I'm going to read about four or five verses here. Uh, people ask me all the time, well, did you grow up in a liturgical church? No, I grew up in one of them churches where we didn't know what the word liturgy was. But I also grew up in one of those churches where we knew what holiness was. And when you read the word, you stood up because it was the word of God. So stand with me. They ar- verse 22, they arrived at Bethsaida. Some people brought a sightless man and begged Jesus to give him a... Wow. Did anybody bring anybody this morning? It said they brought a man and begged Jesus to give him a touch. I just want any of you bring anybody that you want me to pray for this morning. We'll just stop right here. Nobody? Next week, bring somebody and beg me to pray for them. Bring somebody because when you know Jesus is who he says he is, you're trying to drag people into his presence. I get tired of people telling me, how do you evangelize? Well, if you know he is who he says he is, you're dragging people that are sightless into his presence that they can get a touch. Taking him by the hand, he led him out of the village and put spit in his eyes and laid hands on him and asked him, do you see anything? Have you ever asked anybody, do you see anything? Have grandkids. He looked up, I see men. They look like walking trees. So Jesus laid hands on his eyes again and the man looked hard and realized that he had recovered perfect sight and that he saw everything in bright 2020 focus. Lord, I pray this morning that you touch us again. I pray that you clear up the blurry vision, the fuzzy vision, that you take away anything that would keep us from clearly seeing one another and you, that, Lord, you would clarify who you are and who we are, that you would do it today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. I love this story. It's just such a great story. There's so many things to it. I mean, the fact that they brought someone and begged Jesus to touch them. The fact that he cleared his throat. I mean, can you imagine if you're a blind man and the Lord... I mean, even blind people know what means. And then to feel something moist and gritty. I mean, this is gross, right? That God would take the dust of the ground, moisten it with his own spittle, roll it up in the ball and shit. No wonder the man couldn't see anything. He had mud in his eye. Brings a whole nother, right? Another interesting piece to me here is that the Lord led him outside of the village. Sometimes you got to get outside of the naysayers in order to see God do anything. Sometimes you got to get away from the doubters in order to see God do anything. It's interesting that Jesus took him out of the village in order to accomplish this creative miracle that takes place. And then he asked him a question Do you see anything? There's sometimes I want to look at Christians and said, Do you see anything? I made the mistake one time of standing at the back of the church and asked the question as people walked out, what do you see God doing in your life? And most people said, nothing. Do you see God doing anything? What, what do you see? You see, there's a lot of people that have a blurred vision. They have a, their vision is offset. I, I, I was raised with a stigma in my eyes, and I, I've worn pop bottle glasses at different times because if it gets a little off-center, you look down something, and it's like this, or there's more than one of you standing there, and I can't figure out. God healed that when I was about 28. And, uh, it, it's interesting how, however your vision goes, so goes your life. 
your ability to see clearly can really affect how you live. The man's response is interesting to me, right? He's a blind man. I'm sure he is set under the shade of a tree and been told, we set you under the shade of a tree. And he could feel the coolness of the shade. I'm sure that someone's brought him an apple or an orange and said, this is the fruit of a tree. I'm sure he's set by a fire that was fueled by the wood of a tree that someone cut down and they told him, well, we cut the tree down and we... So this man had grown up without sight, but in the knowledge that God provided trees to feed, to warm, to cover. And so his concept of anything that was standing was that it was good for what it did for him, that it provided something, that it was something that... And so he saw these things walking, and he assumed they were walking trees. That's the way a lot of people see people. They see people for what they can provide for them, for what they can do for them, for how valuable they are to meet my need. There's a lot of people that see the world around them as something to meet their need. Jesus came to give us a different vision of the way we see one another. I am not in your life just to give you fruit and shade and provide warmth for you. Uh, Listen, people are more valuable than what they can do for you. There's a lot of people that need a different vision of how they see people and it would alter the way we live with one another when we didn't look at each other as a commodity, something to be, right? We live in a, in a culture called America where everything is about consumerism. Everything's about what I can get to help. In fact, I think I'm blessed as long as I'm getting whatever it is. I see men as trees and the Lord said, no, that's not quite what I'm after here. And he laid his hands on him again. And I love the verbiage that Eugene uses in this translation. Uh, The man looked hard. Touch your neighbor and say, look a little harder. I send my kids, grandkids into the house. I say, go get pops this, go get pops that. And they come back 10 minutes later. They're as fast as lightning. They come back 10 minutes later and they go, I didn't see nothing. And and I look at them and go, look harder. Look again. And I take them back in. It's right where I told them it was, you know. And, and, and yeah, but come on, now we know people. They never look a little harder. Touch your neighbor. Say, look a little harder. And then he realized that he had recovered perfect sight, and they saw everything bright in 2020 focus. I believe that the Lord has assigned me this year specifically for you to tell us that God's wanting to clear up our vision. God's wanting to clarify how we see each other, how we see ourselves. He wants us to look a little harder at Him. And at one another, he, he wants to give us perfect sight, perfect vision. He doesn't want it blurred anymore. He doesn't want it skewed by the things of this life. It, when he said, I came to give the recovery of the blind, I don't think it was just a physical healing. I think it was about the way we see ourselves on the inside. I think it had to do with that inner story. Because, see, we truly never see others any higher than we see ourselves. We never project anything other than what we have self-projected on the inside. Paul will write in Ephesians 1 that the eyes of our understanding might be enlightened, that we might know the hope of his calling and the riches of his glory and the inheritance of his saints. The Amplified Translation says that your eyes would be flooded with light. The Message Translation says that your eyes would be focused and clear so that you can see exactly what God's calling you to do and grasp the immensity 
of the glorious way of life that he's given to us. Paul goes ahead and takes this ministry of Christ as a God's wanting to open the eyes of your understanding. Not just your physical ability to see red and green and blue and yellow to watch football. He wants to open up your heart and the wisdom of your soul so that you can understand. Because the writer Solomon said, in all you're getting, get understanding. In a world that is disseminating misinformation, most of us disengage because who can figure it out? One of the ways the enemy confuses us is just to bombard us with so much that we just throw our hands up. God wants to give us an eye of understanding that we might know the hope of his calling and the immensity of his glory. And he wants to clarify to us our understanding of who he is because the world is established on understanding, according to Solomon. But you see, all of our stories, all of our understanding, everything on the inside has been conditioned. We were raised in Kansas. We were raised on this side of the tracks. We were raised with this view of life from this denomination. Some in this room were abused, some were not. All of us have been conditioned by the life experiences and by the traditions that we've been handed. All of us have a lens, a pair of glasses through which we look. And some of those lenses are wrong because of the traumas and the times and the trials and the things that have happened to us. And God doesn't just want to fix our physical. He wants to heal the inner narrative. Oh, you know the one, the one that tells you you're not good enough. That, that narrative on the inside that says you'll never measure up. That narrative on the inside that makes you smaller than you are. That narrative that many times religion has propelled and perpetuated you sinner, you worm. from. That much of the religious culture in America has been perpetuated by a performance-based, shame-based theology, which frankly is a heresy. That God doesn't treat us on the basis of our behavior, but rather on the basis of his culture and who he is. And frankly, church, we have led this area in the belief of healing and prosperity, but we need to lead the way on how God wants to heal the inner child of every person sitting in this room. Because even though your life may have missed the horrible abuses and atrocities that others have experienced, I promise you that to be abused by the lies of religion is just as devastating. Amen. And this man named Jesus comes to give back an understanding in our hearts that we look not through the traumas of life, the handicaps, the limitations, but that we would have a clear focus and understanding of the child we were created to be. And so, I am on a mission this year to eradicate all of those things that cloud your vision of who God is and who you really are. That we might see more clearly who God intended us to be and what he has exposed us to. Last week I started, if you weren't here, I can't go back and preach it again, though you can download it for free at fathershouse.net. And you push a button and I ride all the people that work for me to make sure, never mind. Or you can get an app. But Exodus chapter 14 is the story of how God delivered the children of Israel from the bondages of Pharaoh and the slavery of 430 years. 
It's the story about how God used Moses to part the sea and then close the sea. It's the story about how he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians that you see today, you will no more see again. God was trying to show them something. He was trying to reveal to them that he was removing them from the trauma and the abuse of 430 years. And that he did it with a magnificent display of his power. That he did it with a display of who he is. That in the third chapter of Exodus, he said, I'll make my favor known to you. That any time God moves on our behalf, it is a manifestation of his goodwill, his generosity, his kindness, his mercy, unearned and undeserved. That God's favor is a manifestation of his love, his nature, his character towards us. That it takes religious people to screw that up. That when God decides to take you out of the hands of a slave master, he parts seas. And he causes the wind to blow and Make them rise up. Listen, it is a great, great story of how God delivers us from death and sin and hell. But many times you can change locations and conditions and never change the story that you tell yourself about those years. And you can repeat those traumas over and over in your world. And I am convinced the story of Exodus is how God is trying to bring people out of a trauma-based living into a trusted way of living. I'm telling you, we have ignored for hundreds of years in this country the traumas that have taken place in the lives of people based on the labels that we have assigned to them. And we have a generation today that according to anything you read is struggling with mental health. According to anything you read, they're struggling with emotions. That the addictions and the things that you see today are but symptoms of the realities of how people have been hurt throughout the years and years and years. And quite frankly, the Reformation didn't do much to help it. And now we as a culture have this huge need of people that are living with these stories on the inside of them. And it's hard to begin to trust again. It's hard to begin to believe that someone cares and has an understanding. But this morning we begin to sing. God makes a way. God works miracles. I believe that the answer to the cultural issues of our country and of our world lie not in the leaders that we elect, but in the God that has selected us. I believe the church needs to break the silence of that suffering that goes on on the inside of humanity and that we should say we have an answer for that. And his name is Jesus. And he comes to clear your vision and let you see that you are more than what you inherited through the words of other people. That God is trying to move in a new way, in a fresh way, to have a revival on the inside where that we are changed in the way we look at one another and speak to one another and act for one another. That we can recognize that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses of people who made it through. And not only made it through, but know that God is with them even in the midst of things. I spoke to you out of Exodus 14 about how the enemy was drowned. It was over and none of them remained. And yet as they moved into the next season of their life, they were unable to reframe their perspective based on this event. 
Though the event happened and Jesus died and rose again, many people have not reframed their life on the reality that God is with you today. That you are not only delivered from your sin and from hell, but you are empowered to be who God created you to be. That you are more than that addiction. You are more than that abuse. You are more than what they told you are. And your life needs to be reframed, not by focusing on that, but on the favor of God that's been displayed on your behalf. That you are blessed and highly favored. That God is for you and not against you. That he reaches down to sustain you and uphold you. And that he can heal the child on the inside of you. And the only way to step into the future that God has for us is to overthrow the trauma and the terror of yesterday by finding a place where we can live in the trusting embrace of the God that's for us. Now listen, I was raised in a culture where there was, we were suspicious about whether or not God was good. I was raised in a culture to where the basement Sunday school class talked about the goodness of God, but the sanctuary talked about how bad you were. And the conflict in my soul lasted for years, if not decades. It's time to rise up and begin to declare that there has to be a coming together, that those two views of God, that the dualistic side of God is not true, that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. And that the way Jesus treats people is who the Father really is. Mm. These people that were once delivered through the power and the favor of God would live out here in the wilderness and because they saw themselves in a certain way, they had trouble trusting God for bread. They had trouble trusting God for water. They had trouble trusting God for chicken. And so they would complain and they'd talk about, let's just go back. Because though they had been delivered, they still believed that they were less than who they are. And so they struggled in the wilderness to live. I see so many people struggling because we have not recognized. Those people came up to another border and they sent spies into the land, according to Numbers chapter 33, verses 32 and 33. And they sent spies in the land, and ten of them came back with a bad report, and two of them came back with a good report. And the report empowered the negative story on the inside of each one of the people. There's giants over there. And the scriptures say that they said, we are like grasshoppers in our own sight. Thus, we are grasshoppers in their sight. You see, there were only two out of three million that began to believe that they were more than what they thought they were. Huh. I find myself today recognizing that the Caleb's and Joshua's are the minority. I find myself today in this place understanding that there's not a lot of voices out there saying, not only are you delivered but you are empowered to take what God has given to you. For you see, the news that goes on in our culture is all about bad. It's all about fear. It's all about pitting you and I and us and them against one another. It's all about that. And we get sucked up into it. 
And the reality of it is, is that completely feeds this inner narrative that maybe I'm not on the in crowd. Maybe I don't measure up. And so that inner story on the inside remains strong. The message translation says, and we feel like grasshoppers. I do a lot of counseling and a lot of it starts out with, she makes me feel. He makes me feel. They make me feel. Do you understand the enemy works in the midst of your emotions to keep you confused about who you really are? Do you understand that each one of us must take responsibility for how we feel in order to get out of the trap of the story that's on the inside of us? And these folks did not get to go into the promised land and enjoy this because of this disinformation, misinformation, this continually barrage of bad news that continued to support the idea that they were nothing more than slaves. For see, how you see yourself determines your destiny. It determines your future. A poor image of yourself will keep you from enjoying the realities of the deliverance that is for you. And we today need to understand that the real tragedy of the trauma is that it lives on on the inside of us. Hmm. I think that perhaps we need to stand up and destroy the fear that's caused us to forfeit the future that God has designed for us. Those people talked themselves out of their destiny. I wonder what would happen if this room became filled with Caleb's and Joshua's. I wonder what would happen if we stopped peddling in the criticism and the critique and the measurements of others. I wonder what would happen if this room would become filled with people that others could trust to encourage, that others could trust to look over their past and see the favor of God that's upon them. I wonder what would happen if this became one of those safe places, those places where when people came in, we believed the best, spoke the best, encouraged them. I wonder what would happen I wonder what would happen if our vision just simply became clear about how we look at one another. I wonder what we could do in the next 361 days. I just wonder. I believe God wants to touch our vision and make it clear again so that it's not hampered by the broken child on the inside. I wonder if we would care and have compassion about the wounded person on the inside, what would happen in this room. I wonder. Not only do I wonder, but I anticipate it. I'm expecting it. I'm expecting that through the preaching of the word, faith will arise and we will more frequently focus on his favor. Because the more frequent that we are about paying attention to how he has favored us, the more that faith will emerge on the inside of us and we will begin to recognize the reality of what he has for us. It's a medical reality, I could quote it, but you won't care, that where there is a trauma that is followed by a thought about the trauma, there will be a threshold that emerges that will eventually create the seedbed of disease. Let me say it again. If you have trauma, and then you continually think about that trauma in a negative way, a threshold will emerge to where disease will take root. 
I can't do anything about the trauma of your past, but I can help you to think differently about it. I can tell you that it's never healed by the denial of it, but rather by bringing it out into the open, becoming transparent about it, and trusting that no one in this place will be shocked by it or judge you for it or evaluate you by it, but trusting, working through the process so that we can transcend those issues and stand in the place where God has called us to be. This will not be a charismatic bam up. This will take a commitment to one another. This will take a commitment to a group of people that are working together for the same goal and the same vision, and that's to see every one of us know that we are not grasshoppers, but that we are people called by God to inherit his promises and to live a healthy life. Listen to me. Some of you are old. Don't you want to die well? Don't you want to die with that child well? Don't you want to step into glory a whole person? I don't want to just cope with the things of my past. I want to be victorious of them. I want my grandchildren to watch me step into glory shouting and not afraid. Are you listening to me? This is not a three-step thank you franchise the gospel to make you feel good about yourself. This is the truth, and the truth will set us free. Mm, Notice how quiet this place gets. Abraham, according to the Bible, did not focus on the fact that he was old and 99, but rather he paid attention to the promises of God. And by paying attention to the promises of God, that old man at 99 fathered a child. You can either focus on your weaknesses and your temptations, or you can rather focus on the promises that God has given to you in spite of your age. What I realize when I read about Abraham is that God visited him four previous times and yet on the fifth time have you ever had God tell you something over and over again and finally you're going yeah 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 I get tickled because uh, anyway people say well you've preached that before yeah one of these days we'll get it you do understand that repetition is the mother of all learning that's why you say go pick your room up today tomorrow the next day and the day after that pick your room up Go put your shoes away. You repeat yourself, and yet, oh, you're not getting us. He shows up the fifth time to Abraham, and this time Abraham says, If I have found favor in your eyes, then let me set a table. You see, until you realize that God has favored you, that God likes you genuinely, then you cannot put yourself in a position to receive from his promises. And can I tell you that the religion that I was raised in really didn't want you to think God liked you. Rather, they really want you to think that God's upset with your behavior. Well, listen, I'm not real keen about your behavior either. But God doesn't give you favor based on that. And when you begin to realize that you're favored in spite of When you begin to realize that God's favored you, look at your neighbor and say, God favors you. See, when Annie began to favor me, I knew to step it up a notch. When she began to indicate to me that she liked me, I bought her chocolates. When she began to indicate that she liked me, I took the relationship to another level. If you'll read about Abraham in Genesis 18, when he perceived that God favored him, he began to open the door for God to empower him. 
Until you know and believe that you're favored, you'll never allow God to be intimate with you. And until you allow God to be intimate with you, you'll never conceive of the promises or the power that God has for you. The place we began is to begin to encourage one another that God likes them. That they have found favor in his eyes. That story would remain intact all the way through because Moses would find favor. David would find favor. David, Gideon would find favor. Daniel would find favor. In fact, Mary found favor and conceived of the child of God. This idea of favor is not some new organic thing created by the Pentecostal charismatic word of faith movement. It is as old as God. God wants to make his favor known. And Pharisees have always stood in the way of it. God wants to make known his unconditional, undeniable, unchanging love in our lives. In fact, you and I are called to make that known. I believe God's wanting to clarify our vision by focusing more on his love and his favor than on the rules that we have so petuously depended upon other people to follow. Peter said, I want you to focus all your hope, all your weight, all your energies on the unchanging favor, grace, hope, and mercy of God. Jesus said, this is the year of the Lord's favor. The time has come, Paul said, for God's salvation and his favor. Solomon writes, says, he that findeth me findeth life and obtain favor. Jesus is our favor. He's the one that joins himself to us in the midst of our trauma, in the midst of our timing, and reveals to us that he swallows all of that into himself and offers us a relationship wherein we can begin to know that God loves us. Take another look. Look past the things that have happened in your life. Look past what other people have put upon you. Look past what religion has placed upon you. Look past the culture that continually divides and separates us based on race and creed and color and denominations. Look past it. I realize that I am a voice of one in the wilderness. I realize that there's only two out of 12. But hear me. The voices that we are hearing in our culture and through our churches is not the voice that empowers that child to be healed. It's the voices that continue to constrict the neck of that child and keeps them out of the promised land. I am more emboldened today than ever before to speak to us and say, it's not by power or might, but by his spirit. And that spirit is a spirit that embraces and heals and brings an end to that pain. And that culture. This is the third decade of this new century. The first 20 years have been filled with painful things. It's time. It's time to stand up and begin to call people out of the bondages of their own issues on the inside. And open it up. And let God pour a balm in it. Hmm. Notice how unshouting you are. Acts chapter 3 tells a story, and I close. Acts chapter 3 tells a story that takes place at 9 o'clock on resurrection morning. At 9 o'clock in the morning, Jesus is resurrected. Six hours later at 3 at the ninth hour, Peter and John are going to the temple. They're out in public. And it tells how they were going into the temple, and there was a lame man who had been lame from birth lying there at the gate called Beautiful. And he looked up at them expecting to receive something, begging alms for them. 
And Peter looked down and said, silver and gold. Actually, Peter looked and said, look at me. Look at us. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, we give unto you. And he reached out his hand and took him by the hand and he lifted him up and it says his ankles were healed straight away and he began to jump and leap into the church and all the people in the temple saw it. I believe you and I are supposed to be healed enough to where we could tell others, look at me. Until you see yourself as one who has been healed from the inside out, you have nothing for others to see. Hear me. In the period of six hours, people that were hiding in an upper room from fear of death suddenly were emboldened to come out into public and go to the temple. Peter and John, six hours ago, were too afraid to show their faces. But all of a sudden, after one visit from the Lord in the upper room, they were able to go public with their faith. You see, one small encounter on a Sunday morning in Hutchinson, Kansas, with the presence of God can change your life. One song sung for 10 minutes in that presence can alter your life and you can walk out of here emboldened. One encounter with Jesus can save you. And in six hours, they changed their priorities from protecting themselves into going public in prayer. Hear me, we need to change our priorities. We need to make our time with God of the utmost important. We need to go out on the streets and go to the temple and pray openly and publicly to a God that we know has favor for all. We need to stop stepping around what others are stepping around and we need to step up and look at those that are lying lame in our culture. We need to recognize that our culture has left many behind. But the church has left many behind. They cannot walk for themselves. They cannot speak for themselves. And they're crippled laying there. And we can no longer ignore it. It doesn't matter. We can no longer ignore it. We've been called to step up where others are stepping around. And to offer something that we do have and not be focused on what we don't have. We have been hindered long enough by what we don't have and have misunderstood what we do have. Silver and gold have I none. But can I tell you, I was the man that denied the Lord and ran for cover. But he showed up and told me that he was not ashamed of me and he called me. I am not limited by past issues. I am free of that because he has called me. Step up and offer the healing that we have on the inside. And if you don't have healing on the inside, then this morning I beg you to ask someone to pray for you. I beg you this morning to come out of the hiding of that and come open with it and acknowledge. Quit trying to nethesize it with what you can drink or what you can pop or what you can go sleep with. Listen to me. The culture cannot fix it, but only the presence of God. Therapy will keep you trapped in your emotions. It's good, but it'll keep you trapped. Only the power of God can heal you from the lies of the past. Step up. Quit stepping around. We can't preach this message and continue to ignore those that lie in our culture that are in need. We cannot. We cannot be used as pawns for those that have other plans and purposes. We have to stand our ground and be people of the book. And number three. Listen, you got to reach out. You got to reach out. Faith without works is dead. 
Listen to me. Get your eyes off yourself. Reach out. Offer a hand to somebody. Quit waiting on a program to come through the church or through some government agency. Just, just pick up a starfish and throw it back in the water. Start small. Make a call this afternoon. Take a pie to somebody. Oh, oh, create an atmosphere where somebody can tell you what's hurting them. Make it a safe place in your own place. But do something for God's sakes. Because the more you change your priorities, the more you step up and step out and reach out, then all of a sudden a clarity will come. And that blind or that lame man will begin to see himself as valuable and not a beggar. And everyone in the temple will see him praising God. Listen, the greatest miracles today in the 21st century are going to be those that happen on the inside. They're going to be the greatest stories. They're going to be the greatest miracles. And we need to take that stance. We need to have our vision clear and focused. We need to see deeper. I've spent my life praying for people and watching God heal them physically. And then because of the story on the inside... They end up right back in the same place because nothing got it. Am I listening to you? Well, if you don't like this dissertation, you won't enjoy the next year. Because I'm working to bring healing to the inside of a wounded child. I'm working on that. I'm going to work at it, through it, for it. I've asked people to join me at communion to pray for you, to take time. I've asked several groups of people to make sure they're up here and not so they can just touch you and move on, but to take a moment with you, to linger. And I'm begging my church, my, my community, that if someone's receiving prayer, make it, make it sanctified. Keep this a sanctified place. Don't, don't, just because you're not being prayed for doesn't mean you shouldn't be respectful. You should be. There shouldn't be all this movement that goes on. Listen, we make room for that for the kids, the first two songs. Then I expect you to grow up. You hear me? I, I, I love all this, and I'll keep doing all this because I want them here. But listen, we need to understand that when we step into this, we're dealing with sacred things, and we're dealing with people's lives. And we need to honor it. And some of you need to get back up and come down here and help and pray for them. You take a moment. I know that's not popular to stay a little later and pray a little. I know, but I ain't looking for that. I don't care. I'm looking for healing to be manifested in the lives of people I love. Just close your eyes with me for a moment. Listen to those keys. Let us see ourselves the way you see us. Let us see others the way you see us. Let us see you.